Hey guys, real quick shout out to our buddies over at Buzzard Roost Saddles. Buzzard Roost Saddles was born in the swamps of Santa Mall, South Louisiana, and their purpose is to get you standing over your next carcass so you can pick them clean. I'm excited to be able to now offer you a 10% discount on Buzzard Roost Saddle hunting gear. If you're looking to get into the saddle hunting game or are looking to change your current saddle setup, be sure to check out Buzzard Roost Saddles. Use code HTWPC10 at buzzardroostsaddles.com to save 10% today. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Hunt the Wild podcast. I'm your host Adam Bolds. Today I'm joined with Jared Wells, my co-worker actually. So he's a, he works with me in southern Indiana, but he's a old Kentuckian lives in Owensboro, Kentucky. Um, he's been a hunter uh, most of his life or all of his life, but new to the bow hunting world. So we're going to do a little flip-flop interview um, and let him kind of ask the questions. And I think this is going to give you guys um, maybe more so newer archery hunters, but it'll um, give you the chance to kind of hear some questions that maybe new archery hunters and maybe experienced archery hunters um might want to pick up on some tips. So um, I'm going to hand over the reins to, to Jared, um, have him introduce himself a little bit just to get some background. And then he's going to take over the show and I'm going to sit back and be the guest. So Jared, you go ahead and take the reins. This one's all you introduce yourself and we'll roll with it. Uh, so I was born and raised in Southern Indiana Moved to Kentucky two years ago. Um, have hunted my whole life. Uh, no waterfowl, just squirrels, rabbits, really love uh, whitetail. Just hunted for it all. And I'm uh, shot bows my whole life, but never actually hunted with them. Just never found a reason. And this year is going to be the first year for it. And I think that you soak up so much information from these people. And yeah, I could sit down and watch 51 of your episodes and try to catch the things that I'm looking for. Whereas I think it people want to hear what you know. Nobody's looking. No one's picking through the the brain of Adam Bolds. And I think that's what the people need. Yeah. So, so basically what he's saying is he's going to be selfish and rob me for an hour or two and, and just pick my brain. Although this happens a lot at work, um, you know, might as well record it and, and let everybody else kind of get in on some of it too. So we'll, it'll be interesting to see which direction this goes. If it, if it ends up informational and, uh comical or all comical or all informational but uh jared you uh you jump in i'm i'm you're the host i'm the guest let's uh let's do it yeah i'd say at work we'll start um with five minutes of information to every 55 minutes of just bullshit so uh, <laughs> for starters um what like you started i'm assuming you 
shot we shotgun hunt because up until now the last two years it's been shotgun only no rifle now it's changed so you've been shotgun hunting as have i what um did somebody in your family like bow hunt or did you just take it upon yourself to do that so um i grew up shotgun hunting of course um I remember a story in particular um, way far back. I would estimate I was probably six years old at this point. Um, my dad took me and my brother up to, um, I guess I'll go ahead and name the town, um, Tennyson, Indiana, which is about 40 minutes from my house. Um, he had permission there. And he took my my brother and me and him and he took his bow up there and of course at six years old I'm probably not sitting in a tree stand so we're all sitting up against a log and my dad has his bow and he's probably not planning on killing anything and I'm sitting there with um, as an old school red kid's bow like you could probably pull it back with your tongue um, <laughs> and he gives me a an arrow with a broadhead and he's like sticks it in the ground he's like don't touch it unless you see a deer. And my brother's doing like the same kind of thing. Well, we're sitting on, on this log and, and gray light comes in and a couple of does come to about 30 yards when there's a buck, a massive, massive buck at like 40 yards. And it's just, um, this is before they had any kind of glow pins, um, any kind of thing like that. My dad was probably not preparing to shoot this deer. He's sitting on the ground. He's got two young kids with him. Um, so anyway, we're, we're watching this buck and it's massive and a couple weeks or a couple months down the road, um, I, I believe it was it was either a county record or a state record, which obviously would have been less at the time than it is now, was killed right up the road from that wood. So we've always kind of joked that it was probably that deer. Um, but I guess that would be my first introduction to bow hunting. Um, and then as I got older, 16 or so, and started driving, um, a guy that I used to hang out with had kind of messed around with bow hunting and he's like, you want to go, you want to go. And we had another buddy who was like, I got a bow you can use. So we literally planned this hunt to go to, um, well, there's a piece of public land near our, our homes. I won't mention, but, um, the strip mine area. And I was like, yeah, I'll go, man. So we took our clothes with us to school and we changed in the parking lot we drove to this other buddy's house, grabbed the bow and, and went out for a hunt. And we obviously, we didn't see anything. I didn't know really what I was doing when it came to bow hunting. Um, I took a bow with me. I had never shot. Um, it was way too long or way too short. I never had pulled it back. I had no business doing that, but that was, I guess my first bow hunt. And then after that, I kind of just took the dive in. Um, I bought a used Hoyt, I can't even remember the exact um, style of Hoyt, but I bought a used Hoyt and I practiced and hunted with it. Um, yeah. And then kind of the rest is history. It took me about three years, two or three years to kill my first deer uh, with a bow, which ended up being killed on that same piece of public land where we had first bow hunted just a different section. And uh, I thought it was a doe ended up being a, it was tagged as a doe, but it was less than three inch spike buck. Uh, made a liver shot, tracked it by myself, 
drug it out. And after that, I was uh, pretty well hooked. I wasn't going to miss any more after that. But uh, I kind of taught myself how to bow hunt mostly. Just a little introduction from my dad and, and the buddy. But as far as learning how to shoot, playing the wind, I didn't grow up playing the wind. I grew up going to a stand that was already there. Um, so yeah, I mostly am self-taught and it's usually through trial and error, mostly failure. <laughs> right. It's funny how in Indiana only using a shotgun, it's so, uh, we were grinding to get deer coming up. Like it was tough just because of the distance mm-hmm. and the accuracy, the whole thing. So the hunt itself was a little bit like the learning curve is a little bit steeper. I feel like mm-hmm. just you got to be even more careful. So, and also the best way to learn I found is to just get skunked, not literally metaphorically time and time and time again. And that's what has happened to me. Like for years it's happened. I'll jump a deer going to put my stand up and nothing will come within a mile of me. So you're like, is it because I smell which way is the way? And you start like breaking it down because you just wasted a whole mm-hmm. weekend sitting by yourself in a tree. So I feel like we had a, a better opportunity to learn in denser woods that it's harder. And I'm not taking anything away from Utah, Montana, but they have their stalking and they're, they're shooting three oh eights and distances that, you know, I just, I feel like it's a little bit easier. I'm sure somebody would bark right back at me about how it's not. Um, but now that we can use rifles, I feel like it's so much easier in my mind, like the game of it that, that deer I saw when I was 12, that was 150 yards away. And I was looking through my shotgun scope and I'm like, I just can't do it. Now that deer is, is gone. It's a goner. Yeah. So like I got the rifle and now I'm like, how do I make this hard again? Yeah. it, it, It is interesting because you look at, you know, we just geographically painting the picture for anybody. We are located from my house, I can drive to Kentucky in 10 minutes or less, um, which has always been allowed to use rifles, but I didn't grow up hunting over there. But um, you look at that and you're like, those people can set up in a box blind with a four-year-old kid who can play on an iPad and color pictures and just like have whatever. He's basically in a shoot house with a rifle. Um, it's a, it seems, you know, it's just a totally different world compared to, to what we did right across the river 10 minutes away in Indiana because a lot of us spent a lot of time in maybe maybe just me but we spent a lot of time with shotguns and in the woods hoping that a deer was going to come within 30 40 50 60 yards so at the time yeah it was hard hunting with the shotgun but i think it 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 set me to a point to where the deer had to get close which is what I needed to bow hunt. So it was kind of like really teaching me the whole time. Um, I had never shot a deer over um, 
40 yards prior to last year. Last year was the first time I have ever hunted with a high-powered rifle. Um, both Kentucky and Indiana, I ended up shooting six or seven deer. Um, but not not that it's too easy, but it's definitely easier. Um, I would say out of the deer that I kill, let's see, the buck and that doe, I would say two of those deer, one of them I shot with a bow, it's fairly close, 25 yards. The other doe was about 15. All the other deer were over 80 to 100 yards. I would have never in my lifetime shot those with a shotgun. I would have never even thought about shooting those deer with a shotgun. So um, it is interesting, um, you know, kind of going into the rifle game. And But, yeah, I think I think the shotgun thing, I think it preps you preps you for, for bow hunting. And if you're like me, I didn't grow up hunting with a slug gun. I grew up hunting with a, a Remington Wingmaster with rifled slugs. So they've got to be pretty, I mean, you're not getting a hundred yards with that thing. They've got to be fairly close. Yeah. That's tough. I did not know that. So yeah. I had a, a slug gun and when we sighted it in, it was like, we'd do it at 75 and just judge. But, that first day we well we'd walk in i walked in there with my stand like a month before and a doe came arm's length from me and stopped i was frozen it was frozen we just stared at each other for like i swear to you two minutes it what felt like two minutes anyways and i was like oh this is good i put my stand up like 20 yards from that spot and was like i'm gonna smoke that thing in the morning go out there and nothing i didn't kill a deer at all i saw one deer the whole season and it was way too far and it was staring right at me and i was like <laughs> okay i gotta get better i gotta do something different and the whole time you know coming up i don't know about you but the whole time we're like stuck with shotguns and i didn't get to hunt kentucky but Mm -hmm. I didn't either. Oh my gosh. If I could just use a rifle, like life would be so much better. You want it so bad. And then you get rifle season now in Indiana and you're like, how can I make this? It's like going back. As soon as you get something you want and you're like, it's not as fun. Like it is, you know, we're going yeah. to, to eat, but now I'm like trying to make it difficult on myself again. It's funny how it's cyclical. I guess, but yeah, I mean, I guess you wouldn't, I, I mean, if I went out and shot a deer every time, obviously I'd be eating good. Um, but I don't think I would be as attracted to it. I mean, if it's just so easy, I mean, it's not really hunting at that point, really, it's really killing. Um, so I, I really enjoy the whole aspect of everything. Um, shooting the deer is kind of my least favorite part. Um, even though that's the ultimate goal, but yeah, the, I, yeah. I, I will I will say I, I don't know if I've ever told this story but I, I I'll go ahead and tell it with the guy that introduced me kind of to my first bow hunt other than you know my dad this buddy that I went to high school with he's like we got some property um, that we have permission on if you want to go hunting with me and my dad you can go with us in the morning so he's like just bring a five gallon bucket sit on that so we roll up to the woods grab my five gallon white bucket Take a walk into this woods I've never been in in my life, set up against a little tree. And sure enough, here comes a doe um, about an hour into the, the sit, walking right towards me. 
gets to 10 or 15 yards just staring right at me. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm shooting this deer. So sitting on this bucket and I draw my bow back. I aim right between its legs. You know, I'm going straight for the heart, uh, heart and lung frontal shot, which is not ideal. I didn't know any better. Release the arrow. Boom. Right into the tree next to her about two (laughs) yards. Uh, Stuck the broadhead right in the tree. She stood there trying shaking like a leaf, trying to get another arrow on there. She's doing the old doe kick where she's just kicking her foot, slapping. I'm thinking, oh, shit. Now she's going to charge me like, I, I, you know, it's like a matriarch doe. This isn't no young doe. She knows what's going on. And I'll never forget that. I thought, you know, 15 yards, this is just a walk in the park. I walked in here, put a bucket down. Uh, I'm just going to smoke this deer. And like, you know, it's not that hard. This bow hunting stuff's not that hard. I'm telling you, when you think it's that easy is when it gets hard. Underestimating. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so something else just, it just dawned on me. I, I learned this earlier, uh, bone collectors, as we talked about, uh, the mm-hmm. other, which the stigma behind the sticker is yeah, ass cheeks, but they're knowledgeable who, mm-hmm. who they sponsor and everything. The hunters themselves was basically saying like, when you draw on a deer, you want to be aiming like right at the bottom of their shoulder, like literally, like you would almost shoot under it. Because mm-hmm. 99% of the time, the videos that you watch of people missing, they duck, like they drop down, and then you shoot hard. So, like, go uh, just compensate for it ahead of time which I never, it never to me and shooting a gun, then moving to a, it's not moving at the speed that a rifle round is moving at. So there is time for the deer to react, which is crazy. Like if I'm just grateful, I saw that earlier. Cause I never would have thought of it. Never occurred to me. Yeah. Um, ducking the arrow is quite common. I, I will say, I am a small guy. I only, I'm only five, eight and you know, 140, 150 pounds. So I've always shot smaller axle to axle bows and I've always shot, um, low poundage, which causes me to never shoot over 30 yards. I've never shot a, a deer over 30 yards with a bow. Now there are guys that do shoot 60, 70, 80 yards. And I think that's more prevalent for those kind of guys because the arrow, obviously it has to travel twice the distance. So the deer has a little more time to duck. Um, it's not too much of an issue or I haven't noticed it too much of an issue for me because that arrow is there and impacted at 10, 20, 30 yards pretty fast. Um, but yeah, the, the ducking the arrow thing, um, I usually, um, I I mostly am a double lung guy when I aim. I'm not usually going for a heart shot um, with a bow. It just seems to work out that way for me. It's, I feel like sometimes, you know, they say aim small, miss small, which I I try to do, but I don't know something about that um, heart being so small and the lungs being just a tad bit bigger. I I go for the double lung shots just to kind of keep myself safe so I don't, 
you know, have the, the deer kind of duck the arrow just in case they do duck the arrow or just in case they, you know, scoot out of the way really quick. But yeah, I don't think, um, I, I don't think unless you're going to shoot very far, it should be too much of an issue. Boy, I'm sure glad I brought that up because when I heard it, I was like, that is profound information. Yeah. And I was getting ready to shoot six inches under a deer. And then, yeah. so with like, it'll be on camera. And I'm, I'm going to either kill the deer and I'm going to cry or I'm going to miss it by six inches and then I'm still going to cry. So, like, <laughs> yeah. so if you guys are looking for a YouTube video of some guy hunting, uh, either if he's successful or not, that, that, uh, Jared's sure. plan on getting filmed quite a bit this year and I'm going to be doing the filming cause I, I love to film and I never have anybody to film. So. If you're looking for that emotional stuff if you want to laugh with him or cry with him plan oh. on that coming soon yeah it'll be both for sure and this is why we're here because that's something that i needed to learn which um i'm not gonna dive too far into the crossbow situation we've had the conversation you've had the conversation People, you're not going to convince anybody otherwise, like their opinions of it and blah, yeah. blah, blah. Granted, crossbow is something that is fairly new to Indiana as well. Like the regulations of rifle, crossbow, it all kind of changed in the same two or three years. Yeah, it's only about, I would say, gosh, maybe six years now. But the same, um, sorry, uh, the same applies i feel like if you're going to shotgun hunt deer it takes some thinking and planning and a lot of thought and practice to know what you're using the distance everything it takes a lot of thought and skill whereas rifles when it changed for people they're like oh i have a rifle in my safe uh and i'm pretty okay with it and then they just go gut shot a deer it um happens but it kind of is it just bugs me because we talked about the crossbow thing and the reason why I'm, i am so i feel so strongly about it at this point is because whenever it changed um i, I was working at rural king bought a crossbow, shot it five times in my backyard at 20 yards and was in the woods that night. Not having a clue what I was doing, thought I did, been hunting, and it's completely wrong of people to do. I feel like um, that's probably why the regulation was there was because you don't want just anybody going to Walmart, buying something and maiming deer and leaving them. And the same probably applies with rifles. So I'm kind of curious, like it's not a statistic that I think we'd be able to find, but I'm sure it's changed a lot. Like these things happening, go practice more with your rifle or your crossbow before you go put a, 
a broadhead in a deer stomach and then go home and then never go find it. Like the conservation side of it, um, just because it's loosened does not, is not any less important, which I know this wasn't a question. This is just a vent, but yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, um, I think the same can be said about shotguns. I mean, for example, I used to work with a guy who was new to deer hunting. I wasn't involved in this in any situation. I had just heard the story. Um, he went out a week, a night before gun season and he bought a gun and he bought a scope or he bought a gun with a scope. He went out and hunted and he saw deer. He shot at the deer multiple times, probably emptied the mag or, you know, whatever, and missed. He came back bitching and complaining that he had missed the deer. What I do wrong, blah, 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 blah. Well, did you take your rifle out or your shotgun, whatever it was, and, and you know, practice and sight it in? He didn't even realize that when you buy a gun, you have to sight in the optic. Thank God. So, so um, you know, when you get into thinking about felonies and, and basically any kind of restriction, um, whatever it might be, domestic violence, which would prevent you from buying a firearm, you've now opened that gate for anybody, literally anybody, to go out and buy a crossbow and do the exact same thing. Now, it is prevalent in gun hunting, um, but I think opening the crossbow thing probably did. I know that it increased traffic um, because when right. I bow hunted that coal mine area, there would usually be, I, I would go there after school and, and after work and stuff. And there would be four or five, six guys signed in when they crossed the crossbow thing. Um, the sheet was full. The sign in sheet was full. There's ground blinds everywhere. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't be encouraged to get outdoors. It's their property just as much as it is mine. It's public, but it is important to kind of, you know, for the animal and, you know, for conservation's sake, you, you should practice and know your weapon and, and know what you're shooting and don't just go out there and just whack a deer in the ass. Um, Cause I've heard plenty of stories about that. People shooting deer in the ass and they had no idea where they're supposed to shoot the deer. Now I have nothing against crossbows. I shot my biggest buck last year with a crossbow on the, on the ground. Um, but I think you should be proficient with it and I think you should practice. And I think a lot of people miss that point. They think you can just pick it up and, and go out and you're a bow hunter. And I guess technically if you go out with a crossbow and hunt with it, you're a bow hunter, but I, I don't know if I consider that, um, you know, being a bow hunter. Yeah. I, I completely support the decision that they've made. I just, think yeah it opened up the door for the right people my dad being a poster child could not shoot his bow anymore because of back problems i can use a crossbow now and but yeah i was one of those people admittedly that was like crossbow easy i shoot a shotgun and a rifle and i i jumped the deer when I walked in and didn't see anything else the whole rest of the day. And I never took it out again. It was like one and done. And um, yeah, I mean, at least I know I knew 
what I was getting myself into. And I, I, I am knowledgeable enough. Like I wasn't going to get shot the deer, but I still don't think that I had enough experience with it to warrant myself being out there with it in said mm -hmm. coal mine. Um, but yeah. And I think, um, I think the price point is important too, right? So you can, you can get on Amazon and buy a crossbow for $150. Um, it's likely if you're going to go, let's, let's, I bought a new, uh, a bear, uh, legit last year and I, I'm probably 500 deep into it. So, um, it's kind of an investment, you know, like if you're going to buy a compound, you're kind of like, you're invested, right? So you're going to try your best to, to do everything right. But it's really easy for a guy to buy one for $150 and just kind of go out there. And I don't know, I, I'm not, I'm not totally convinced that you shouldn't maybe have to take some kind of, I mean, obviously take hunters safety or whatever, but I'm not convinced that you should be able to bow hunt maybe without maybe some kind of taking a test, at least telling you where to shoot in the vitals and, you know, how not to shoot your fingers off with a crossbow. Cause I, I you know, I've heard stories of, guys at, at the archery range that a guy actually shot his thumb off at a local at, at bucks and jakes using a crossbow because he didn't know what he was doing so people think they're a lot safer um than guns sometimes but bows can be dangerous there's a lot of people that that fall out of their stands every year and get gored by their own arrows yeah let's i had never considered that Every time I think about falling out of my stay and I think about breaking my back, never once yeah. I think about falling on my own arrow, um, yeah. which is ironic. But um, mm -hmm. I think the point I'm trying to make is just that it opened the door for a lot of people that were not focused on conservation, but were more focused on going to work Monday and like feeling good about yourself or telling your friends you, you know, shot a deer or whatever before it was easier for people it was 99 percent of people that were out there were focused on um, ethically killing eating and conservation just in general which i um i it is funny because it was a black friday at rural king for like a $279 bow, bought it for $150 and was like, I've hunted forever. No big deal. I don't, I couldn't even tell you if it had a broad head on it. I mean, I swear to you, I just, it got to my head and was like, I've done this a million times. What's different? Yeah. Go shoot. Try to, you know, which I'm all about conservation, but that was just being a dumbass, frankly. Um, but yeah, yeah I, think, I, I think a lot of it is just lack of education. You know, it's just so accessible to go in and buy something and then just take it out. Um, you know, you, I'm not real big on the government forcing you to do certain things, but at the other hand of it, we're trying to conserve wildlife. You know, um, there was a point when there was hardly no turkeys and deer, because of, you know, bad conservation practices, I think, um, you know, it would be good to maybe, I don't know, they require you now to sell a um, harness with every tree stand that leaves a store, no matter what the brand. So maybe, maybe they should um, maybe include a booklet on, you know, a vital sign or something, because I've got to imagine that there's a lot of people 
that watch YouTube or their uncle's cousin's grandpa hunted once. Um, and they just go out and they think you just shoot a deer and they, they put, they don't put together that there's actually more to it. You have to shoot the deer in the right location. You have to be able to track the deer. You have to be able to find the deer. Once you find the deer, you have to be able to skin the deer and gut the deer, um, cut the meat up. Like it's not just buying a, a crossbow and pulling the trigger. There's just, I mean, killing the animal is probably the easiest part. Yeah. Um, dragging it out and figuring out where to take it when it's warm outside, not letting the maggots and flies get to it. It's just, I don't know, maybe they should put a disc or like, you know, a, a QR code or something in every box. Yeah. And just to add to that, I'm especially guilty I didn't know that they um, forced a harness on you, which is great. Whether people know it or not, it's for their own good. Whether they even use it, that's uh, Darwinism, natural selection, whatever you want to call it. Good good for them. Nature, let nature run its course. Um, yeah. But I know that every time, like it's all personal and it, it, it depends on the person. Every time I buy a gun and I fill out, the paperwork somewhere in there says, do you have a lockable safe? And I just stop and look up and I'm like, how about none of your fucking business? And I'm <laughs> sure that people are like, Oh, I don't, I don't need it. I don't need a harness. I'm not going to fall out. Just like, I'm like, I don't, yeah. just none of your business, man. Like right. I have a on my front door and that's plenty good, but it's all, uh, just a matter of who it is and everything but um yeah it, i it, mean that's it, what we're mean, trying to do here right is somebody catches the episode and they're like you know maybe they're getting involved in hunting and they just maybe they're not a piece of shit and maybe they just they are trying to learn but they just they lack the knowledge you know so maybe you know they can catch maybe they don't know that they need a broadhead i mean to us it sounds silly but at one point um i I didn't know, you know, at one point and you went out with a crossbow and hunted without a broadhead. So, um, yeah, I mean, education, I Maybe. think is, is the biggest thing to kind of curve that. Yeah. And, um, we're dealing with a different generation of people, um, us coming up, boomers going out, um, perfect example is a seatbelt. You mm -hmm. know, there's not, uh, every time you stop, walk out your door and get in your car, you're like, am I going to be in a fatal accident today? Of course not. You never think of, of these things happening because you don't have control over it and you know it and you still don't wear your seatbelt. Guilty um, of that myself. But I, some people are like, I can go get in a tree stand. Everybody does it. And you don't think that something bad is going to happen with your crossbow because it just seems so normal. But I think that our generation is taking heed better then uh, the two generations ahead of us, I think, we're all learning from past generations. Yeah. Um, and, for example, anybody listening knows that there's somebody at their work or a friend of theirs that's really inspired to go out and take on the lifestyle, I guess you could say, but really don't know what they're doing. And... Uh, we live in a society where we fake it until we make it. Mm -hmm. and, um, squirrels, 
for example, like it doesn't matter in our workplace. If you ask any one of those people, if they want to go squirrel hunting, they're going to, uh-huh, I'll be there. Not, uh, they don't even have to own a 22. They'll borrow somebody's and just mess it up for themselves. And hopefully, potentially, not hopefully, potentially never try again. But it just goes back to how many times have you gone fishing and not caught anything? Hundreds of times. And every time what, for me. <laughs> <laughs> not every, yeah. Not a bunch of times, every time. And, mm -hmm. you know, every time you, if you are dedicated and you care about um, the animal and the process, you better yourself. Um, and some people hopefully don't make the mistakes that we're talking about. Like, I guess that's why we're here is mm -hmm. to prevent from falling on their own arrow or shooting a deer and just going home or better yet cutting the antlers off of it and leaving it. Like we're trying to better our generation, uh, educate. And I mean, that's why I'm here and <laughs> at all. Yeah. I mean, I, um, you know, I am willing to put my, my neck out there and help anybody that is willing to learn. However, I do believe that there are those out there that I, I, I'm going to try to word this the best way that I can. Um, so I'm not trying to sound like an asshole or, or whatever, but I think there are those that think hunting is a game. You know, they go out and they're going to play like Daniel my, Boone. Hi, shout, out, shout out to my son, Boone who's named after Daniel Boone, but they, they think it's, they're, they're going to go out and it, it's a game, but, um, and, and maybe it's just me or certain individuals. I know there's a lot of people out there that feel like me is there's a real connection when you hunt and like the whole, seeing the whole picture, you know, getting, getting the whole picture and understanding hunting and killing and taking life and skinning and saving the meat and like, totally understanding the conservation aspect of it. Then you have those who are interested in it, but they just don't know. They don't know about conservation. They don't know about, they're just ignorant to it because they've never done it. They're willing to learn, but they just don't know they've never done it. And then you have those who want to go, but they think it's a game. They think you go out and you just see if you can blow a squirrel's head off and you know, that's it. And you leave the squirrel you won the game, the squirrel lost, and that's kind of like it. They go home, they go out to eat, Feel they move really on with their life, and it's like nothing ever happened. It's it's like they went to a football or a soccer game, and that oh, is the kind of stuff that pisses me off is uh -huh. those kind of folks. Yeah. Um, damn. I wish I knew. Or I forgot what I was going to say. I didn't want to interrupt you. But that's you're okay. You're right. Um, there are people that treat it like a big ass game of hide and seek. Uh -huh. And oh, I remember. And I'm not here to like prove myself. I just maybe somebody will hear something. I'm trying to be thought provoking. I literally told you yesterday, like, 
just uh, in regards to like being grateful for what God, Mother Nature, uh, the Earth, whatever you, because it could go apply to any of those things. However, you feel about it, right. being grateful for what it what it's providing you, um, and understanding that what we buy at the store is different, um, and it's it's farmed. And yes, we are like farming wild animals, but it's it's just different. I told you, I want to save every squirrel hide I have until I'm 60. Like I want to have just thousands of them in hopes that at some point in time I can you like utilize it and some sew them all together and make a damn blanket or a hat or something like the drive to like want to make it its life the life of the animal worth it yeah besides like yeah eating it um is essentially what we're there for but like native americans i hate to even reference it but they used every single part that they could and that's i'm like i don't know if it's like a hoarding thing like i'm just a, i want to hoard them or i want to actually utilize them uh it's somewhere in the middle but um yeah yeah and, and i want to go back and touch on the conservation and kind of the playing the game kind of thing too i think a lot of folks that go like i'll paint a scenario here let's just say my neighbor we're I don't, I, I don't really talk to my neighbors. I don't really talk to anybody. I'm actually pretty introverted, uh, believe it or not, being the host of a podcast. But besides the point, we're going to pretend my, my neighbor is Bob. Johnson. Bob wants to go. Bob, yeah. Shout out to Bob Johnson, who is uh, my, my boss at work. Um, oh, so we're going to pretend that Bob wants to go hunting, my neighbor. And, you know, he, he, he comes with me, he goes hunting and he, he shoots the animal and he's just like, can't find it. Or he just like chucks it in a ditch whenever he leaves, you know, he goes with me, he puts him in his truck. He's like, I don't want to clean these things. I don't even, you know, whatever. He chucks them in a ditch. I think a lot of people that play around with hunting and don't really understand the conservation and, and the, the whole cycle of it. Um, you know, I, I, I think, for some reason it never clicks in their brain that that is a living thing and that it is spent, you know, there's different life cycles of animals, but we'll just, we'll just say two years. I'm not sure the life um, of a squirrel, but let's pretend it's two or three years. They don't understand that that squirrel was born in the wild with no human interaction or um, it hasn't been tainted by anybody. It has survived cold ass winters that you would die if you slept on your porch in in the wilderness, in the woods. It has found its own food. It has found its own and built its own shelter. And then you kill it and just chuck it in a ditch. I, I mean, just like the, the yeah. whole thought of that, even just being a squirrel just makes me want to strangle somebody, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With, you're right uh what they like there's just so much so, more to it they are so superior to us it is unreal like mm -hmm. which i think um we all like to practice and think that we'd be able to make it yeah um, i'll tell you right now i'd be i'd be fine but i guarantee you 
yeah, on the 11th day, I'm like, I'm dying. I'm not yeah. going to make it, boys. Like, so it is pretty amazing. Like an infant. Yeah. Deer, squirrel, rabbit, frog. Like they go through it. We don't have predators. And there are things that want to eat everything. Like we are, I guess we are predators, but it's a little bit different. We cheat. I like to, I like to kind of paint this picture. When you think about, just imagine the, the listeners and Jared, you too. When you think about going out, it's late December. You haven't killed a deer. So you want to go out. It's cold as fuck. The wind's blowing 30 miles an hour. It's snowing. You're bundled up and look like the Michelin man. You hunt the last two hours before the sun sets. And you're literally froze to death when you get back to your truck you can't hardly start your vehicle because you were so cold. Mm-hmm. You were going to go home and take a shower and you're going to get warm. Those deer living in that have no option yeah. and they survive it year after year. I mean, Which, I don't know. Kind of think they're like a little more superior to us. Yeah. I mean, if they had a gun, I think they might, think they might <laughs> yeah. be successful. You know what I mean? I'm knocking. Yeah. Oh, and it is such a shame that they never get to experience, um, that feeling of your heater kicking on and your boots off in your truck. It's such a good feeling. Oh my gosh. I can't, I don't, like you said, the drive there is like the, the anxiety and the angst to like go make things suck for you physically is so exciting. And then even if you don't shoot anything, I don't care. I've, I've hunted so many times and been skunked fishing but that feeling of kicking off your boots and stepping into your truck and that heater. Oh man, what a feeling. It's almost as good as being successful, knowing that you are not going to freeze to death. Mm-hmm. And you still, you're leaving with the drive to come back because you got skunked. Feels amazing. Um, and you're just so proud of yourself for doing nothing. <laughs> I'm like, I'm so hyped up when I get in the truck. I'm like, yeah, I just, did nothing and I'm going to come back and do nothing tomorrow. And I cannot. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when you think about it, you, unless you really dive deep into it, you just think you're kind of hunting, but I do think that the, I I think, and I won't say for everybody, I'm going to break it down into hunters, you know, us as kind of like a subculture. I, I think there's something embedded in our brains that kind of draws us to that. It makes us feel old school or natural how our ancestors were. It's just like a natural thing. I think, I think it, I, I don't know if it boosts serotonin or, you know, whatever in your brain, but it's just like Mm -hmm. something about it is it's not normal in today's society, but it's like, I think it's normal even through evolution and everything. It's just there in your brain that you feel like it's something that you need to do. I mean, I feel that way. Like I I feel, I feel like it's something I have to do. Even if I don't want to go hunting, I still feel like it's like something that I, I I don't know. I have like this instinct to want to do it. I'd be interested to know if like other people feel that way too. Maybe I'm just a weirdo, but which. I can kind of like, I understand what you were just saying, um, how it feels differently for us, like compared to other people, us mowing the grass. It's like, 
you just it's easy like we're we're no stranger to hard work and sweat and dirty mm-hmm. whereas like a friend of mine that's a lawyer whenever he has to mow the grass it is like you and me going sub zero temperatures to hunt all day like it's that it then you know they get the enjoyment without having to do that so like i feel like everybody still has that drive and the proud moment of like the struggle and then the relief it just some like for some of us we have to go a little bit further to get that little drip of serotonin in the in the brain um yeah i think it's similar to i I won't say that it's you know Obviously, your adrenaline rushes whenever you shoot a deer, a squirrel, or whatever it might be. I think it's similar to that, but you know, different in a way. As you're not, your adrenaline's not pumping, but it's, um, you know, it's, it's the addiction to. Well, I would say that mine's an addiction to suffering, as bad as that sounds. Like if I go hunting, and it's easy, yeah. and it's not mm-hmm. cold and miserable, and it's. I go out and it's 60 degrees and I walk over there and just shoot a deer. I am not, I, I walk a field and I shoot a, a booner, a, a wall hanger, a book, a record book deer in 60 degree weather. I will tell you if I shoot a spike in miserable conditions where I'm froze to death, I'm going to be a lot happier about that deer. And, and, and yeah. I think it's the experience. Um, mm-hmm. I think if it's too easy, it's just, um, frankly, no, we wouldn't know what it would feel like to to make it easy. So I don't yeah. I can imagine what you mean though. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I I think you just hit the nail on the head with that. Um some is some people we just have to make it harder on ourselves. It might feel really good to just walk in the woods 65 degrees, smoke a deer, drag it out and go eat like right. I imagine I like I, my impulse is to be like that must be nice, but yeah. I don't. It probably really isn't. Um, just I, I think maybe once, twice it would be nice, but I think if you went every time <laughs> yeah. and that and that was the case, I think you would be turned off by it. I think you would get bored. I think you wouldn't feel the connection with nature. I know you wouldn't con- feel a connection with nature because you're not spending enough time out there. You're not seeing the possums and the squirrels and the rabbits and the coyotes you're not really getting the whole picture you're kind of just going in and and robbing essentially you're going in and robbing nature's bank and cutting Mm -hmm. out instead of you know kind of hanging out for the whole robbery and not to sound like an absolute burnout but those days that you go in and you see nothing you're like you spend the entire day without that train of thought in your head, you can hear the trees and the squirrels and the nuts and the leaves are so deafening. Like they're so loud to you and it shuts off everything on the inside. And if anybody were to believe that the world is like one giant living organism, like going out there and listening to what like the earth was supposed to sound like is enough to make it worth it i mean everybody wants to drag a deer out but at the same time it goes along with the struggle uh, just going and listening to like what the world the earth has to tell you that day is um part like half the fun of it um yeah i think 
I Freezing think, is not fun. But. I think a lot of people, too, um, there's a lot of those who think they experienced, and, and, and this is more broad, but there's people that go to parks and there's people that go hiking on, you know, a nature conservation trail at some 40 acre place and they think they're in nature, but like they go red until, until you get out into nature away from stoplights and traffic and power plants. I, I would, I would almost, I would bet money that there's a lot of people out there that think they've experienced nature, but they never actually have because going to a nature park is, a conservation area like Wesselman's park, for example, it's good. It's for conservation. I get it. You take kids there and stuff like you walk around, whatever, but like to go there and think that you're experiencing nature, I think is, um, I think it's foolish. You're not really experiencing it. It's tainted by, um, by wooden plank boardwalks. I think hunting gives the, gives people, um, the access and, and maybe more so on public land, but I'm just talking generally to kind of be nomadic and make their way wherever they want in the woods and get as far away as they can and really experience what the world is like kind of pre 150, 200 year, you know, um, back when sh you had to kill shit to actually survive. Um, I think a lot of people miss that. Maybe people, maybe that would turn people on to wanting to go hunt is just being able to kind of experience the uh, serenity, you know, of, of being in far backwoods country nature. The loneliness. Yeah. yeah. The loneliness. Oh, all the credit to uh, the federal government and the state um, for trying. Yeah. I mean, Wesselman's, for example, like your state, Oh, hell of a try. I mean, I commend yeah. you, but um, no, and I, I want to like, it, it takes a lot of, it's selfish for me to be like, the more people that go there, the better it is for me. Because mm -hmm. if you and I were the last two people on the planet, we would have some great hunts. <laughs> like we would, <laughs> we would have some really good hunts going on. But I mean, I, thank God we're not using the old wagon wheel, uh, you know, anymore. So I do appreciate a good shower. Um, yeah, I, I, I do too. I appreciate a good shower and, and good air condition um, yeah. driving to the woods as we're going to be doing this weekend. We're going to do a little drop. Oh, it's about two hours from my house, but we're going to drive to some uh, a big piece of public land and hunt. But I don't really want to take a wagon and a horse two hours um, with no air conditioning in the middle of August. So I'm thankful for that. But at the same time, I, I want to park my vehicle and and sweat to death and be miserable and get attacked by mosquitoes. Why? I don't know. It's miserable, but it makes me feel alive. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, if somebody pulled up out front with a wagon, I had a call into work tomorrow. <laughs> go. I don't care if it takes me three days to get there. I, I would love it still. Um, granted, it's not snowing and there aren't like bobcats trying to eat us, but um yeah, that's an interesting, interesting thought we just had uh, where that just went. But going back to the conservation um, poachers, that sort of thing, growing up, I can't tell you like the first 
five years that I was probably old enough to go hunt, my dad would, we would go, no gun, no tree stand, like dress up and, and we would just walk and scout and be quiet. It was like practice. And every time I'm like, why are we not just blowing the shit out of everything that we see? And the whole time he'd be grumbling about conservation and poachers and telling me stories of people and things he's seen. And all it was was like going to hunting college for me. And one of those things that, you know, I wasn't able to put it all together because I didn't understand. I just heard old dad grumbling through the woods talking to me about pieces of shit. Um, But one of the things that I, I heard every single time was gut piles. Now, it was understood whenever he gave me a, a, a 60 pound summit climber and a nine pound shotgun as a, an 11 year old in 14 layers of clothes. And he was like, You're going to walk. You know, I already knew where, but uh, it was understood that there was a rope in my backpack and I was to tie the deer's front legs up and I was going to drag it as far as I needed to drag it to get it back. And it didn't, it never occurred to me until I was older that in no offense to you, that's why I'm asking, um, is it like a normal thing to shoot your deer, find it and gut it and leave it there, leave a gut pile? Because I was never given, I was like, he was like, I don't care if it takes three days. You're pulling the deer out, guts and all. And <laughs> so I've been thinking about it recently. Like, is it, of course, we were on private land. We were on like 100 acres and uh, somebody, one of his friends. So like there was a respect thing. So it might be different in public properties. But I know that gut piles, it's burned in my mind from hearing him say it. And he's just like, nothing pissed my dad off more than a gut pile. And it, <laughs> I was like, we're, it's like when you're a kid, you think that you're going to catch on the fire because of how many times they told you to stop, drop and roll. I have yet to see a gut pile. So like, I don't even know about it, but you so, think more by now. So we'll go real deep into this. And there's, um, you know, there's a spectrum, there's a right side, a left side and somewhere in the middle. And I would say that I fall, somewhere in the middle, which is generally about everything in life. I fall somewhere in the middle. Um, so I've heard, I've heard. Yeah, I believe gut piles, scared deer, gut piles, whatever, everything that basically you explained. I've also heard gut piles don't matter. Um, they don't scare deer. They smell like deer, blah, blah, blah. I'm somewhere in the middle with this. I do my best to let's for example let's say i shot a deer with a shotgun and it fell over and died right where i shot it five yards from my stand i'm a mile away from my truck guts weigh a lot they're heavy you know um i don't really want to drag it by myself at you know 7 p.m whenever i get down from the stand get all my gear packed up you know it's late i don't really want to drag a deer a mile by myself full of guts um However, I don't really want to put things that are not natural and in place 
in front of my tree stand either because um, you could throw a Dixie cup out, for example, in front of your tree stand. And that's going to be the first thing a deer picks up. It's like if somebody walks into your bedroom and puts an apple pie on your bed, you're going to notice it, you know, oh. whatever item <laughs> is out of place. It doesn't matter Absolutely. what it is. Right. Um, so if, if I'm in that situation where I'm going to have to walk a far distance, it's pretty likely that I'm going to go uh, two or 300 yards and then gut it. Um, if for some reason I can't drag it a little bit of ways and gut it, um, and I have to gut it right there, I would say, I would say it's depending on the situation of, of when you shot the deer, um, we'll, we'll play on, you shot the deer, it had other deer with it and you gutted it right there. I think you're probably not going to kill deer there the next day because they're a little bit um, stunted from seeing Lucy or, you know, Bucky get shot. Um, I don't think leaving the gut pile is going to mess with them in that sense. But I think um, if you, I think if you, if there, if there wasn't any deer with it and you shot it and you gutted it there, I think you'd be okay to hunt it for a day or two um, until it starts getting maggots and starts to stink and smell like death. And I'm sure you've smelled that, um, oh, yeah. you know, through hunting and stuff. I think the smell of that, that, that gut pile as it ages and ripens and rots, I think they do pick up on that. Um, but initially, you know, a day or two, it's cold outside and it, you know, you've got one in the wintertime. It doesn't ever really stink. It freezes and the coyotes and stuff eat it before then. Um, but Which if I had to do it, if I had to do it by my stand, I'd probably attempt to, um, depending on where I'm at, I might try to, you know, dig a hole with my boot and bury it with grass. Like maybe not leave it so obvious. I think it's situational. Honestly, I think it's situational. I think you try to avoid it if you can, if you can avoid it. I don't, I, I think you hunt a different spot or you, um, you know, it depends on how many deer are with it, but I will tell you, let's see, two years ago, I, I shot a doe opening morning of the Indiana reduction. I watched a doe run maybe 20 yards and fall and die. There was other deer with that that deer, but I didn't have any other tags to shoot it. So they're just hanging around and they, they never did leave. Eventually they did leave. They walked around. It was the weirdest thing I ever saw. Um, they, get, they basically got in a line, went down the trail, cut over to the deer. They all walked by that deer and looked at it like they were at the showing of a funeral. <laughs> they crossed the path and they all left. None of them blowed. None of them ran. It, it was the strangest thing, but you would think from hearing gut pile stories and like, don't leave the tail or, you know, don't quarter it up there. You would think that those deer would register that that deer is dead and that there's danger. But I, I, I'm not convinced that that's always the case. Yeah. They more than likely had no idea why or how it died. So that does uh, prove a, a decent point. Like that answers my question for the most part, because animals do die every day. And it's not like they're like the coroner, like, oh, my gosh, Sally um, got shot right. at the 243. I can see it clear as day. Um, but something I, so I answered my own question while you're talking. You answered my question, essentially, a um, not off topic, but not to my point. Um, we had a trash can in our driveway 
that as a kid growing up, like my dad would gut and skin the deer in the driveway and put it in a trash can, like with a black trash bag, you know, and I don't know what he ever did with it. I'm assuming he put it in the city trash can eventually, but like, yeah, it, it that thing would get ripe as hell. Yeah. Like the next day, like it, it would freeze at night. And, you know, I just remember lifting that trash can up as a kid and just seeing a mess in there. And I was like, oh, I didn't think nothing weird of it. I was just like, ooh, that's gross. But that goes to show he really never did that. And I think it's because he kept that private land uh, sacred to like he no. Um, not going to give himself the benefit of the doubt on anything. Going to make sure this stays right, not right, but prime. Um, and also for anybody that's listening, what I just, the question that I just asked, I know um, while I was sitting here listening, it, it is burning up some people's asses to hear me say that or like, you know, just itching to be like, oh my gosh, that's the stupidest question. To paint a picture um, in Southern Indiana, we're hunting majority of the time cornfields and bean fields and clearings. Um, and we're shooting 75, 50, 100 yards on a clearing. So it's kind of different. Like we have more option. Now, there's somebody in Utah right now listening to this that's like, you think I'm going to drag my deer nine miles up and down? The, like, that are, they're just hunting rolling hills and not really thick woods, but stalking just hundreds and thousands of acres of land. Of course, that's probably not the smartest thing. Gut your deer because you can be 30 miles away hunting again the next day we don't necessarily have that luxury what mm -hmm. we do have the luxury of is that that eight foot path between the woods and the corn and just flat ground we're just now um where we go this weekend it is um not so wide like i imagine in in utah or something like that but it is like steep rock faces and the odds of you dread zero. There's mm. not a chance in hell. The two of us will be able to drag a full grown deer, not gutted out of that place. It is, it is rough. Um, so I guess I, that answered my question for me. It's a very specific to where you're hunting, the demographic, the land geography, like all of it. Um, if you gut your deer, in the middle of Utah, you're not a piece of shit. If you've got <laughs> under your tree stand, 90 feet from your truck. Yeah. You're kind of, you, maybe you're just a dumbass. Maybe it's not wrong, but you know, maybe you know something that we don't know. So. Yeah. And I think, you know, when it comes to being situational or, or geographical too, is there's areas, um, for example, um, you, you will know, but others won't. Posey County, an area that I hunted last year, I shot a deer there and, and gutted it and went back to hunt um, a day or two later. And the gut pile was non-existent because there's so <laughs> many coyotes out there and so many possums. And it's a rural area where there's lots of animals out there to eat all of this stuff. There's crows. 
Now, if you're hunting, you know, your neighbor Janice's backyard that she's got a little two acres on and you do that, yeah. it's likely that it's not full of coyotes and it's likely it's not full of possums. Um, if you hunt that early bow season, that thing's probably going to be there for a while. Um, so, you know, pick and choose your battles. Um, don't make it harder on yourself, but also if you do got to do it, try your best to kind of cover it up or, or not leave it at the bottom of your stand if, if you don't have to, but if it's not an option, I mean, you shoot the deer, you got to get, you got to gut it. You got to get it out. Sometimes, you know, hunting the next day or whatever kind of just goes out the window. And you, like you said, you can stretch the theory into um, you're almost doing a disservice to the environment by not gutting it. Um, here in Southern Indiana, Hoosier, the, we, the turkey vultures around here will swoop down and take a cheeseburger out of your hand. Like they're hungry <laughs> and there's a lot of them. So, and, and Hoosier has a ton of coyotes too. Um, and I, I imagine, well, almost 100% of what turkey vultures eat is dead already. They don't, they're right. not actually killing deer. Um, so that's kind of, uh, it's just another aspect of conservation, I guess. But that's the, that's just the cycle of life. I guess it's comes down to just use your best judgment. Yeah. But it, yeah, it's very situational. Um, so you're going to hunt September, right? Um, yeah, reduction September, September 4th. September 4th, I'll head to Kentucky. But um, yeah, the Indiana reduction starts September 15th. So I'll kind of float back and forth um, until regular season comes in on October 1st for us. Uh, regular season being still archery. Correct, yes. So archery to archery. And then we get three weeks in November in Indiana. Mm -hmm. What things are you doing um you kind of have a leg up by the time you get to your rifle because you've been watching you've already spent two months out there um yeah essentially just scouting uh killing or not but what do you feel like it, it uh it obviously it has to make it easier right when you get to gun season you're like you already have a really good idea of like where they're at bedding all of that is there like what what changes about your route your routine specifically um on your way aside from camp camouflage yeah so so i think this is something i think this is something people miss a lot that that strictly gun hunt and we call you know we call those the orange army um which i'm a part of but i'm i'm only uh i'm a i'm a reservist you know i'm not a full-blown orange army guy because i do bow hunt um Real reserves but i think i think a lot of people um miss okay so i go in the woods to bow hunt obviously i scout but um i haven't been in the woods for a little there there's guys that, that scout every week that deer hunt they scout all through the season the winter everything but i think being a bow hunter i'm in the woods more and I can notice how the deer transition throughout the year. When you go in and you gun hunt, most most gun hunters, at least around here, I live very close to to Rural King. 
um, that that Jared referenced earlier, which is a farm <laughs> store. Um, brother. If you go to Rural King the night or the weekend before gun season, they're sold out of tree stands and everybody in line is buying one. So None of those guys or most of those guys have been in the woods yet. They're going to they're gonna build that thing in their garage, go out to the woods and set it up. The thing about deer is deer change their routes and change what they're doing constantly. I mean, I, I'm talking probably, a, I generally say a two-week window. So being a bow hunter, I kind of watch the woods transition from deer going coming up, getting out of bed very close to dark and going to cornfields early in September. And, you know, it fades off kind of by October um, second week or so they're, they switch their patterns when the, when the fields get cut, when the rut starts to kick in, I watch all of that as I'm bow hunting. I watch the whole cycle of everything. I watch rubs and scrapes start to show up. I begin to, maybe not pattern the deer, but understand the way that they're moving and the way that they've changed this and why are they not coming to this field anymore and all this stuff. I kind of see the whole picture as to where people who gun hunt only, and I'm not saying everybody, maybe there's ones out there that scout a shit ton for, for gun season, but those guys don't see, they don't get the experience or the knowledge that bow hunters get because they're not in the woods as much. So I, I guess for me, it's, for me, it's, it's, it's moving to hot sign whenever the deer move a lot of gun hunters and I guess bow hunters too. And I'm guilty of it is they get set in their ways. They put a stand up. It's fucking hot. They don't want to move it. They don't want to take it down. It feels good in the tree. It's the best stand they've ever sat in, but guess what? If there's no deer there, you're not going to kill a deer. So I'm, I mean, for me, it's following the sign. Those two months give me um, the chance to follow the deer, find the new sign, watch a sign fades out. And you, you can watch sign go from being really hot to being nothing. And um, I, th I think that's it. I think it's just experience and spending time in the woods. I just, I get to experience and spend my time in the woods scouting deer hunting, as opposed to those who just, they have to scout a day before gun season comes in, you know, maybe they get lucky and get on some hot sign, but I don't think they get the full picture. I think they only see, you know, an eighth of the picture. They don't understand the whole metrics or the whole system of how the deer move. And I'm guilty myself, not necessarily what you're saying, but in regards to the picture, because um, the conversation that we're having is all about seeing the bigger picture of this whole thing to, to have a greater understanding. And I, it never occurred to me that those people exist. You know, when you told me that, I'm like, well, duh. I just told you that about rifles and crossbows. But I never really put two and two together, one and one together. Um, I don't know um, in retrospect if, if my dad was like, just that was like how that was the time that he wanted to spend with me it was like a way I, I never got the birds and the bees but i got the birds and the bees of like poaching and conservation right and we, we did that year around all for three weeks in november 
I mean, like we were there every other weekend looking for like movement and stuff. So like to me, it's super normal to be out there like, you know, hiking. Yeah. Watch the landscape kind of shift and change throughout the seasons and, you know, like the rut or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting. And even then spending, I mean, 365 days of the year out there and still getting skunked like over and over those people that just get, you know, do what you just described are so lucky to have killed a deer because I try harder than most and it still doesn't work out. And I'm just as tickled as can be like walking out with nothing and spending so much time trying and, and failing repeatedly. Um, so that's kind of an interesting, interesting like part aspect of it. Um, yeah. But as I far as like, um, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Like, I hate to dive into it because this is like I realize now this is like a three part question. And let's we, dive into it. Let's do it. Okay. So, as I and I, when I said routine, I don't just mean I mean like physically. Um, what what do you do differently as you're leaving the woods, um, preparing for the next morning, coming back it, it, in a difference? And when I when I ask that, um, there's a do you mean do you mean do I change my methods as far as like climbing down and getting out and like kind of my my tactics? Uh, I mean, like say, yeah, because I I think that through the year things don't change. You're always looking for beds. Yeah. Uh, um, and there's two obvious things that I just want to point out in case somebody's not thought this far. And this mm -hmm. is like stuff that I can't even dive that far into. A, the foliage this weekend compared to December 20th. Uh, just stark contrast. Could not be more different. And like you said before, the camouflage that you're wearing, I mean, if we all hypothetically would have a, a different outfit for every month of the year, uh, just to match perfectly, not as important. Um, Maybe if we hit the lottery, that could happen. Yeah. We yeah. gone. But yeah, the hunting's just not that good around here for me to stay after I hit the lottery, frankly. <laughs> but um, so that's like an obvious thing. Some people might have thought about it. Some people might not have. And the other part of the routine that I, I want to point out to whoever's listening is um, the velvet, the rut, um, after the rut. Like those are things that change from bow to rifle, like um, October 1st or September 10th compared to November 21st, the deer are going to be after different things, looking for different things, acting differently. And um, something that I always did in gun season, like I told you, pour tinks in a, in a film canister on some cotton balls, mm -hmm. set it at the bottom of my tree and hope that they smell that, which I was just told to do it by my dad. And, 
you know, you just, he's the God of hunting. Like you don't ever doubt yeah. the man, but um, I don't know. It was doe estrogen. Assuming that uh, would work in the rut. Right. Like that's, that would be the purpose of finding, what? but you're going to smell out. Right. Doe. After a doe. Yeah. Which um, is my question. Partially gun season. November 21st to 29th or uh, 17 to 29, whatever it is off the top of my head, that is that time period. Should people be focused on, is that the rut specifically? So that, that what that's what I mean by routine and what you're looking for is what are the deer doing in the middle of November compared to the beginning of September in regards to like your, your, your route, what you are, how are you? So, act so you want to know how I play chess with these deer, depending on the time of year. Right. And like okay. what time of year would that be specifically? Okay. So um, we'll start with September. I'm mainly focusing on, and, and stop me if I'm not answering this correctly. I'm mainly focusing on food and bedding. Um, at that point in the time of the year, these deer are living like they were all summer. They really, I, I don't mean this to sound in a bad way, but they don't really have a purpose at that point. They're eating and they're sleeping and they're drinking water. They're just, they're kind of on spring break, you know, they're eating, they're, they're, they're sleeping, they're eating, they're drinking, they're sleeping. They don't have and and we're talking does and bucks, but like bucks at that point, they're not after does. They don't care about it. Generally, they're in bachelor groups. They're hanging out with other bucks. There's two, three, four of them hanging out together. Mm -hmm. The big bucks, they're hiding out, you know, maybe up on a ridge with the does and the smaller bucks below them. So when Jared walks up the ridge, he busts those does out, which alerts that buck to get away. Um, as, as the woods transitions, um, you know, October, the, the deer transition to go into breeding season, their um, levels go up, their testosterone levels go up, which cause them, you know, um, to start chasing does. And they start doing, they, they start going outside of the norm. Instead of just feeding and bedding, they're also taking extra routes to see what kind of girlfriend they can find. So they shift, they get different. That's why the woods changes. That's why new trails show up. So um, I guess going back in September and me focusing on food and bedding, I mean, I'm trying to get as close as I can to a bed because th those deer are not usually, and, and this is general, but mostly those deer aren't really getting up and specifically the big bucks, they're not getting up in enough time for you to hang out on a field and shoot it. Now, if you've got private land in Kansas, maybe, but like around here, those deer are not getting up until like the last 10 minutes of shooting light. So you need to be as close to that bed as you possibly can without scaring the deer. By close to the bed, I mean 75 to 100 yards. Um, a lot of people make the mistake of the deer are bedded um, at point A, which might be three or 400 yards, yards off the field. They set up on the field. They wait for the deer. The deer shows up. As you know, you can see a deer in dark with moonlight. The deer shows up 
and he's under your stand or he's 20, 30 yards away, it's now dark. And guess who's stuck in the tree stand on the field? Guilty. You flick on your light, which I'm very, very much against. Um, well, let's just say you don't flick on your light. Um, and you, you walk down your sticks and you slip and your boot squeaks. You blow those deer, every single deer off of that field because they know where the sound's coming from. You've blown that field out. It's likely that the does and the young bucks are going to come back. But the big five, six-year-old deer, you might as well forget it. I mean, he it, it, it's done. So I think for my strategy that early season is to kind of get as close to the beds as I can without spooking them. And uh, the, the, the hardest thing at that time of year is getting out of the woods without spooking deer. It's, right. it's the, the hardest thing to do. Now, going into October, um, you'll get a lot of deer that, you know, a lot of people focus around here. They're going to be focusing on after the crops are out, the deer are moving more to the woods. They've got to eat right. It's still still food, water, bedding, and, and at this point, sex, breeding. Um, they're going to focus a lot more on fruit-bearing trees, whether it be persimmons, whether it be um, acorns, which a lot of people hunt acorn flats. At this point, the deer do come and, and feed, um, but I, from my experience, the deer don't hang around and mill on an acorn flat until dark. From my experience. Now, there may be people that experience that a lot, but at that point in time in the year, I'm not so worried about blowing a deer out and having to get out of the stand and not stay there till 11 p.m. because deer will hang in a field all night. Um, mm -hmm. They don't usually, what I've noticed is they come through, they pick the tree and they move on. So, you know, you either shoot the deer or you wait till it moves on. Um, and then going into November. Can I? Yeah, yeah. I'll stop you. Uh so, in uh, September, moving into October, you're not playing so much of a mind game, but a physical. You're looking for beds, food, shit, uh, um, which they're in velvet in September, and they're right. rubbing, right? Um, well, Kentucky starts September 3rd, um, and... Most of the deer there will be still in velvet, but as you get to the end of September, um, October-ish, most of it's shed or almost completely shed. That's why you don't see a whole lot killed in Indiana um, yeah. with velvet because, you know, you're about two or three weeks off. It doesn't take a, a whole lot of time for them to rub off, but yeah, um, by that point, they're usually done. So it's it's it really is like uh, early bow season is a an instinctual thing like using your eyes and your best judgment and trying to be smart about it um, um it 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 is but it's also um i mean all year round it's important to find beds and food those deer are right. always going to sleep and they're always going to feed um it i think it's a little you know it's easier to pattern deer I'll say pattern generally too, because they're wild animals, obviously, but you notice that deer come to the same spot. If you put a trail camera out at 5 30 PM every day to this field, it's easier during September bedding food, bedding food. When you get into October and stuff starts to shift, when you have a 
a cornfield that's 25 acres big. They don't worry about finding new food. In October, once the white oaks drop on that tree and that acorn flat and they eat them all, they're gone. The deer move. They don't move mm. in a cornfield. There's, there's enough for them to eat inevitably, you know, for years on end. Right. So, so I guess, yeah, I mean, as you transition into fall, you're more or less chasing food. And just to um, anybody that just heard you say that about spooking the deer at night, uh, if anybody is even the least bit skeptical, Google search trail camera and tell me how many pictures you see in the day compared to at night, because 90% of those pictures are in the middle of the night and they're all eating compared to like, the pictures that are just happen to catch a deer walk by and it's just trotting along. I feel like, um, and I was always told on top of that, that they burn a whole lot more calories during the day mm-hmm. in the sun when it's hot. So they move at night in order to conserve the energy so that they can go eat and come back bed and burn as little amount of calories as they can. And it's kind of like, the problem with hunting when it's 60 degrees, it, I feel like it's harder. Um, but this is just word of mouth things that I've heard over the years. But Yeah, I mean, there's so many variables in it, too. Like, do you have good food sources to hunt? Are you hunting an apple orchard that nobody else hunts? Like, obviously, that's going to be easier than hunting a piece of public with no cornfields, um, with rolling hills. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, for me, I'll tell you, I've never shot a velvet buck. I've got a lot of them on camera and I've had a lot of close encounters, but um, it's all hard. I think Um, my favorite time of the year is probably the rut. It's the it's the easiest. And that's probably not why it's my favorite is because it has the most action. Um, A lot of early season is you go in. You know that basically like you're waiting until the last 30 minutes of light are going to be, it's either your time to shine or not during the rut, during the fall, it can happen at 12 PM. It can happen at 1 PM, 2 PM, 5 PM. It could happen early in the morning. So I guess there's, I like the fall. I think it's a little more mysterious, I guess. Unpredictable. Yeah. Um, yeah. In regards to the routine, the moral of my question Uh, What I'm getting at is I've only gun hunted and I'm going to start bow hunting and I'm going to follow the steps and like master and apprentice, you know, and I'll, I'll find out what's different just from watching and learning. But in my mind, um, without bow hunting ever, just walking, leaving your house at one in the morning and grabbing the bow. And then when it's gun season, you walk out the door one in the morning with your gun. And aside from the rut and the foliage and how you're hunting, what is different like equipment wise? Okay. Timing or. Okay. I, I think I can, I think I can, I think I understand 
kind of the deeper depth of what you want to dive into. So I think to start off, let's compare the two. Um, I hate to call them weapons, but um, well, let's 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 tool. Uh, let's let's go with tools. We'll start with a bow and a gun. If you're gonna gun hunt a field, let's say you're gonna gun hunt a field. <clears throat> Where are you going to set up at on an open field? Literally? Are you asking me? Yeah, I'm literally asking you. Yeah. Probably 10 yards into the woods on the furthest point from traffic, society, where they would see. So like what I did whenever I was hunting that private property, you, I, we'd pull into the edge of the woods and there'd be like, 50 yards of woods and then a hundred by hundred cornfield, a tree line, another hundred by hundred um, cornfield. Now I would go to the back right hand corner and put my tree stand like 10 yards into the woods with a clear view of the field, like back further enough, far enough so I can see like both corners but also not just, I mean, plumb right on the edge of the woods. I would, I would back into it a little bit and put my tree stand up there. So in order I'm going to have you answer your own question here, probably. Um, what is it that you are imagining happening in this situation? Like, where do you imagine yourself shooting this deer? Well, with so a, the, we'll say a rifle. So you have pretty good distance. The way that I was set up before, um, the field in front of me, woods to my back, more than likely they can't see me because I'm in front of a tree. They would be coming from behind me to the field and hypothetically don't, I'm not moving. So like a lot of the time I would hear footsteps for a half an hour mm -hmm. before I'd see anything. And I would just be frozen and hope now, that when you get 10 yards out, 20 yards, they'd be in the field at the edge to eat. And I would smoke them. So you're wanting to smoke them once they get to the food, right? You, you want them to come from behind you, pass you, get to the corn bean field, whatever it might be, and then shoot them. Yeah, I um, never envisioned them coming in my direction. I always envisioned them facing the same way that I am and walking from behind me. Now I'm going to say this <laughs> kind of like a, a, a dick, but I'm going to make a point here. You should never really envision how the deer are going to come. You should almost know how the deer are going to come because deer most of the time are not where you think they're going to be or where you want them to be. You should be following the sign to be able to tell that they're coming from that direction. Now you sitting there for 30, 30 minutes and hearing deer walk from behind you tells me you should be a hell of a lot closer to the beds. You're way too far taking way too much time for the deer to get to you burning daylight, essentially getting dark by the time they get to the field. So um, I think definitely you're going to approach it different with a gun because um, you know, you're going to be able to shoot further um, when you bow hunt, you definitely take longer to get set up. 
Um, you're going to require, you're going to require um, maybe multiple tow ropes to get your gun up or get your bow up and your camera gear and your backpack and all that stuff. But you've also, from my experience, it takes longer for me to set up with a bow than it does a gun. I can pretty much hang from my toenails and shoot a deer from a tree, but everything has to be perfect when I bow hunt. I Number one, I have to have clear shooting lanes. So if you're a run and gun hunter, you better make sure you give yourself enough time because you don't really, you're not going up in a, in a ladder stand. You better make sure you give yourself enough time to when you get to an area, you have the time and the ability to find the right tree to get in number one. So you can make a shot. It's not going to be so much concerning with a gun because sure you can blast through a couple of leaves and a twig with a 30-06 are you going to do that with a muzzy three blade yeah is it going to screw your arrow up yeah so i guess um as far as like going in i would say you need to spend more time archery than you do gun just for the simple fact of everything has to be perfect um mm -hmm. I guess, could you repeat the question too? Because there was something else I wanted to touch on, but I, I've kind of lost that in my mind. Well, um, yeah, just routine. Like the, the part of hunting that we all do um, in preparation. And I, I don't even really know, like I, I'm not looking for like, I don't know what I'm looking for when I say that. Yeah. The obvious things you're like, oh, I do not. So, um, to help I, for, I think, like, you, I think you need to be more on your feet when you bow hunt. You need to, you're I, mean, I don't mean that literally, but I mean that like you right. need to be more sharper and thinking. You almost always need to be thinking five steps ahead. So, imagine a scenario of you, um, walking in the woods with a rifle and you see a deer at 50 yards, boom, it's probably dead. Now, if you do that during bow season, what are the odds of you shooting a deer at 50 yards in a dense woods? So well, I think you need to always be kind of one step ahead of kind of like what the plan's going to be. It's a lot easier to just walk in the woods and shoot a deer with a gun than it is with a bow. Right. And I knew um, beds and deer shit like 100 yards behind me like i knew we spent so much time in there that i i was under i'm under the assumption that a i can turn around with this gun and shoot literally any direction mm -hmm. um if i was able to like get that far and b i'm between them and food and mm -hmm. there were there was essentially no nearer food um around so like i knew that if they were in those beds they were coming in my direction and i was um just yeah giving myself the benefit of the doubt and thinking that i was doing the right thing now what you're telling me is like you can't you gotta try harder essentially there's more homework involved and yeah, yeah, there's definitely more homework involved. And I think the simple answer is a lot. And I don't mean this as like you physically like 
getting hurt, but like a lot more can go wrong a lot faster when you throw a bow into the equation versus a rifle. Right. Which I, I, that's also like tree stand. It's going to be potentially in a different place, uh, which I was hunting the field and the, the three deer I saw that first year, one was at the opposite corner of me coming from the highway, which is not what I thought was going to happen. And the two does that ran past me were like coming from the other nearest road. So like they were, I should have probably done like thought further into it, but I didn't, I just thought that all three of those were like just crazy I was going to find a deer that was going to eat at the crack of dawn or when the sun was going down and it was just going to be simple. Um, now I, I'm going to give a little secret away here, but I'm not giving my spots away. So we might be okay. I will tell you I have shot and this is fully legal and fully safe. I have shot more deer 20 to 50 yards from the interstate and the highway than I have in the rural country, nobody around woods. And I think, you know, I heard you say, I wanted to get as far away from the road as I could. And a lot of times that's the case when you're parking on that side of the road. But if you're walking, you're parking at A, and then there's a woods, and on the other side, there's an interstate, which is not really accessible other than pulling off on the side of the highway or walking back there. People tend to want to get somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. So they end up as far away from each road as possible. Right. Deer get hit a lot on the highway here. And it's because they use those roads just like deer and animals use streams and like people 200 years ago use water to navigate. They use that stuff to navigate. So, I mean, I don't know if this really answers the question as transitioning through the seasons, but um, I have found to not overlook. Um, if you, if you, if you go hunt next to a highway, you'll notice there's often a fence, some kind of little dinghy, um, fence or barrier that they have to put up the, the it's right. required by the city or the state i've noticed on the 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 thick wood side so like not the highway side of the fence the deer always travel that fence so um that's something that i look for uh, along with beds and food i look for um you know major travel routes that are far away from people and be honest with you not a lot of people go back to that fence because they think it's too close to the road Therefore, creating a, a more sterile environment for the deer because it's less impacted by people, therefore giving you a better hunt. Right. That, and that makes a lot of sense, which it was 64. Um, I know nobody's going to understand that. I-64, farm equipment, bean field, me. And I was put myself as far from that area as I could essentially and still be hunting the field. So, um, and all three deer came from that direction. So 
you know, that just reiterates your point, which now I'm like rubbing my eyes like you idiot, which because <laughs> it makes sense. And I was overthinking it, which is kind of what I was getting at. Like, oh, is my mindset going to change um, from both season against season? Like, do I need to be like looking too far? Am I looking too far into it? Or is it just the obvious sign of um, somebody that uh, somebody that only hunts bow and somebody that only hunts rifle, um, they're I, all looking for the same thing, uh, season permitted, like time of year. But yeah, yeah, they're all. I mean, if you're a smart hunter, you are right. You're looking for hot sign. I mean, that's what it boils down to: is hot sign, hot beds, hot food, hot travel routes. Now, I think. I think you're going to, I think you're really going to, after bow hunting, um, I think you're going to go into gun season and be like, why did I used to do shit this way? You're going to yeah. just kind of like take a deep breath and feel so relieved because it's going to be hard. It's going to be stressful, but you're going to learn a shit ton of information. And when you go from having to make a 30 yard shot and not being able to make that shot, possibly all through bow season and, and missing bucks. When you pick up that gun, it's like, um, it's guy, it's like you got lightning in your hand, you know, it, it, yeah. it you can shoot further, but you, you've taught yourself through archery season on how to get close to those deer. Now, if you were to teach yourself how to get close to those deer during gun season, you don't give a shit if it's 200 yards because it's close enough. But when you've learned how to get 30, 20, 10, five yards, and you can smell the deer's breath, when you pick up a gun, it's just, it's just like a crapshoot, you know? And that's not always the case, but it's because you've become so educated and you've learned so much through those two months that it it all clicks. I mean, you're, you're more experienced. You spent time in the woods, which is important. Right, which is the whole point, I guess, like, because at this point, you just follow the rules, you take your gun, and you're just gonna do what's right. Um, and that's part of like, you're not, it's, you're not gonna learn unless you challenge yourself. And if you just gun hunt the same way your entire life, are you really progressing? Um, no, a, you, I mean, you don't, you don't get the experience, right? You don't, you don't get any of the other stuff. If you walk in and you hunt Papal's back 40 your whole life and you hunt the same two tree stands, you're not mm -hmm. learning anything. You're basically waiting to get lucky. You're not hunting deer. You're waiting for deer. You're not right. going after the hot sign. You're not going after the food. You're literally just hoping that those deer come through there at daylight something just walks by yeah yeah and i think a lot of people get and especially people our age um and you know i guess our parents age too like back when my grandpa and my dad hunted that was the thing was to like go out and set up a stand and just like white it out hunt the shit out of it yeah but that's not really the right good in my opinion it's not a good way to approach it if you're gonna just to give a little just to kind of to show it in a different aspect if you're gonna go fishing you don't want to just throw it out there you want to look for 
we'll say bass fishing. You don't want to just throw out in the middle of the lake. You're going to go for, for logs, sunken logs. And you're going to go, you're going to go where the fish live. Right. Instead of just the lake. Yeah. You might catch a lunker, but the likely chance of it, unless you're on a private farm, is pretty slim to none. Right. There's still technique um, to the, to the naked eye. It might not look like anything. Mm-hmm. But you know what you're throwing that lure at and what you're imagining is going to happen, what's going to be there. Mm-hmm. So It's which, important not to get caught in your mind of what the deer, what you imagine the deer will do. Look for what the deer are doing. Are, are doing, right. Which noted. I got yeah. a little a little book of Adam Bold's secrets. Publish this thing one of these days. Focus on those roads. Obviously, don't shoot towards them. But uh, I shot a lot of deer watching cars and ambulances and cop cars go by. Uh-huh. And I'll, I will tell you this: a lot of people, um, and, and it might not be your style too. Um, maybe you're. I'm going where the deer are at. Like if it's not Serenity and I don't hear crickets chirping, you know, I I love that, but. If the deer aren't where the crickets are chirping in the middle of the woods because everybody else is there, I'm going to the highway. And I'll be honest with you, I have killed a lot of deer by the highway because the highway gives me a lot of cover noise. It gives me a lot of movement. Um, I get by with more when I'm in line basically with the highway because I'm 20 foot up and, you know, I'm down the embankment, but 20 foot up. They think that I'm a flash from a car or something if I get caught drawing my bow. It's not so much of a random dude in the middle of the woods. Like, uh-huh. they're used to noise, and they're used to smells, and they're used to weird shit going on. So you're just another weird thing um, that's going on. And 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 one of the deer I was trying to kill last year um, didn't end up killing him, but I saw a shit ton of deer out of this stand. I walked three-quarters of a mile up the side of an interstate to get to my woods. And by doing that, I didn't blow a single deer out of the woods because I didn't walk through the center of the woods um, as they're bedded down or, or making their way back. I took the highway and then walked 20 yards in the woods and they never knew I was there. So, I mean, I, I think that stuff is overlooked. I can guarantee that that one deer at a hundred yards that was between me and the highway that was just staring at me was thinking, why is that guy climbing that tree? Like there was no cover noise smells. Like I was, yeah, I was the fish in the barrel in that instance, not them, but. I think wind, I think wind is, you know, everybody harps on wind or, you know, people in, I'll say people in the industry, harp about wind when you hear about podcasts and wind and all that stuff but i you know it's essential not to get winded by deer and i think a lot of gun hunters a lot of them are successful because deer rutting and they don't give a shit Mm -hmm. but when you bow hunt wind is extremely important if a deer smells you they're not coming in so i mean playing the wind is just as important as being able to find the deer because if you set up and you blow right into their beds, you might as well forget it. So the stigma, Except unless it's during the rut, then they might not care. 
yeah, the stigma behind bow hunting and people um, are so proud that they're bow hunters and it's so much harder. It's not, uh, it has almost nothing to do with their ability to shoot the bow. Correct. When they say that it's harder, it, it it's because of the time of year and the, all the physicalities that um, it's, it doesn't come down to, oh, I just picked up my bow this morning instead of my gun. And it's harder because it, it takes strength to pull it back. It, it comes down to the temperature, uh, what they're doing. Like, yeah, they're very calm and they're not running and gunning like they would in the rut. So that's, that's what I was kind of looking for. Not yeah. necessarily routine, but what exactly. Yeah, I think that there's a lot more variables. I mean, you know, when you hunt bow season, obviously around here, weather is a concern when it comes to heat. So, like, you're concerned about that. You're also concerned about, like, letting them get to 40 yards. And you're concerned about – you're not so much concerned about if you're accurate with your bow in your backyard. It's it's everything else that can go wrong, I guess, um, yeah. in the process. Like, oh, that target in my backyard, you know, it's hurting. Like, I, you know, I come inside every day and I'm like, oh, I'm on. Daddy is going to score. But it really hasn't. I mean, it, it is definitely part of it. And we just spent a half an hour telling people you need to practice. It matters. Um, so not taking away from that, but it certainly is only half of the battle um, involved. Yeah, I mean, you can be, I mean, for example, you could be a competition archery shooter in the Olympics um, and you can shoot, um, you know, a fucking wing off a firefly at 200 yards with a bow, but it doesn't make you a good deer hunter because you've only got about 1% of what needs to, to happen to be able to be successful. Yeah, and it, it, it really, um, the opportunity to talk to you about it and like learn is something that not many people get. So a lot of people are like, I'm going to bow hunt this year. And they just fail. Yeah. And fail and fail. And then they just give up because, you know, you're only hearing what grandpa at the gas station is like, oh, you're hunting, whatever, just some bullshit. Um, but all you know is rut. And that's like what I'm getting at, uh, what I was trying to get out of you was um not hunting in a rut there's a there's a different there's a difference the process and yeah i mean the rut is just so random go sit in the woods and you're probably gonna like see deer um unless you're just totally fucked you have like a bad area or i don't know you're playing xbox in the middle of the woods or something like i don't know but like if you're going to bow hunt, in my opinion, you need to put in some time in the woods and figure out a plan. Go in with a plan. Don't just go in and think you're going to just sit on a log and a deer is going to come by and grunt and you're going to shoot it because you're going to learn real fast that that ain't how it works. So as cringy as it may sound, um, just I know you heard this story, but last year, um, the one of the the last weekend of gun season we went squirrel hunting under the pretense that where we were going people aren't going to be deer hunting and uh i couldn't even tell you what we were wearing but it wasn't appropriate 
um, for for hunting or blending in. Like we were just going to go stalk some squirrels and see if we could find sign. And literally what you just said, sitting on a log, uh, one of us is in fucking blue jeans, big old fuzzy black mustache, like nothing, just a lawyer in the woods, like nothing shy of whatever that picture looks like to you and three deer within 20 minutes are six feet away just staring just running bouncing through stop and we're just like why do we have 22s in our hands right now like how stupid but they didn't care and um, whether they smelled us or not or heard us saw us we were uh, I was cracking a beer on a log. It was like old, <laughs> old half Oz squirrel, you know, story time. And these three deer are just waltzing right by and do not care. Um, and that's just a testament that at that point in time in the year, there it's just different. Yeah. And, you know, if I yeah, could attack in one day in five minutes with those three deer, it had been great, but. And we'll, we'll have to wrap it up here too because we're kind of getting at the two hour mark. Um, but if you guys want to hear, you know, maybe a second part to this, I'm sure there's plenty of more, you know, maybe questions or concerns or stuff you want to figure out about this. But like, yeah, I mean, you can't hunt the rut the same way that you hunt the rest of the year because the rut is so unpredictable. I mean, you could go from having that deer show up on camera all the time to rut to it disappearing. Yeah, that's good during bow season, but come rut, deer travel miles, five, ten miles. Um, it can change really fast, and and it's hurtful to some people when they're getting ready to you know seal the deal on a deer in the next couple days, and rut hits, and 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 granddaddy disappears with his new lover. So. It can be hurtful yeah. to people, but you know, a lot of people can get lucky during it. I've definitely got my fair share of luck during the rut, so I won't complain. Um, I hope it never ends. Hoping, you know, yeah. that's all that do a little homework and listen to your old buddy Goose, and he'll uh, <laughs> just, you know, it is a crab shoot no matter what. There's no easy way of doing it, so. All right, Jared. Well, uh, we'll see if the listeners want to have you back on for more questions. And and thanks, guys, for tuning in. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Hunt the Wild podcast. If you enjoyed the show and it's brought you some sort of value, I'd love if you could give me a rating and a review. Just a few seconds of your time can help me better understand the type of content you all enjoy. And it would mean the world to me to hear from all of you.